Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, victory for Gary Lineker as the BBC backs down over the match of the day mutiny. But is it a victory for free speech or just a spectacular own goal by the national broadcaster or maybe both? Statues of able-bodied white men should be torn down in case they're racist, according to the Welsh Government. Does their brushing the past really make anything better in the present? We'll debate that. Plus... What does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. Yeah. All right, back to you guys. Hugh Grant's breathtaking arrogance becomes the biggest talking point on the beige carpet at a decidedly beige Oscars. Should we ban Hugh Grant from all award ceremonies to make them more interesting? Sharon Osborne joins me live. Live from London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Gary Lineker stood his ground against a howling mob demanding his head over an honestly held opinion. He also stood his ground against his employers at the BBC as it tied itself in knots of chaos and hypocrisy. It took them a staggering six days to resolve Jug's Gate, six days of turmoil, risking the entirety of the BBC's sports coverage and the future of its management, over a single tweet expressing an opinion. And the net result of the whole farrago is a lot of very angry people and a battered BBC reputation that will pay the price for a lot longer than six days. I'm not sure what Director General Tim Davey is looking quite so smug about. One of the joys of this affair is there'd never been an easy solution, but asking Gary to step back off air was, I think, a significant thing. And now we look forward with this agreement moving forward to resolve things and get back to business as usual. I don't think there was much joy in this whole affair, Mr Davey. Match of the Day bizarrely aired with no pundits or commentary at the weekend after a host of stars pulled out in support of the Nikia. Sports coverage across the BBC descended a complete farce as pre-recorded podcasts and filler took the place of some of its most popular shows. And that's why the BBC's really backed down. It was about to lose one of its biggest stars, obliterating its reputation in the process. They couldn't even put together a convincing argument for why any of this was happening. None of the people baying for Lineker's blood have been able to explain why he's any different to the many other contractors who frequently express opinions, like Apprentice host Alan Sugar, who blasted Jeremy Corbyn on the front page of The Sun and made other rather unfortunate, inappropriate jokes. 
Well, Jeremy Clarkson, who, when he was host of Top Gear, said striking public sector workers should be shot. Or Andrew Neil, who was a BBC star interviewer and politics host for decades, same time as running The Spectator. All of these people continued their work for the BBC, along with Sir David Attenborough, who talks very stridently about things like climate change, because audiences like them, and they were able to see the blindingly obvious difference between the BBC's editorial stance and the personal views of some of the people who worked for them. The entire saga has shone an unflattering light on the BBC. Tim Davey looks hapless. Perfectly straightforward rules about impartiality have become an unsolvable riddle. And questions are now intensifying over the future of Chairman Richard Sharp, a Conservative donor who organised a massive loan for Boris Johnson, just before the same Boris Johnson gave him a job. But more than anything, it shone a light unflatteringly on some weapons-grade hypocrites. Many of the people crusading for Lineker's sacking have found themselves caught up in the toxic swirl of cancel culture they normally profess to hate. The BBC could have made a powerful statement for free speech and common sense by backing Lineker from the beginning. Instead, it's become, well, a spectacular own goal. Well, joining me now is the leader of the uh, True and Fair Party, Gina Miller, and Reform UK leader and Talk TV presenter Richard Tice. I'm also joined by Chief Football Writer of The Times, Henry Winter. Let me start with you, Henry. Always a voice of common sense, the enemy of hysteria as all around lose their heads. Um, what's your overview of where we've washed up on Lineker Gate? Well, I think that the broader perspective is that uh, we should be able to have grown-up conversations in this country. And uh, if the government and the BBC bosses are, are convinced that uh, a sports presenter articulating a tweet, not a terribly toxic one, I didn't agree with his language on the 30s, but, you know, he's, he's an intelligent individual, he's travelled the world, his experience is quite capable of coming out with a reasoned argument. He's not presenting the 10 o'clock news, so there was no issue with impartiality. But I think we've seen the best of the, the BBC and the worst of the BBC. The best of the BBC, as you're alluding to, is the support of Shearer, Wright and so many other people for Ian Wright. And this is what Tim Davian, this is the worst of the BBC, is the, the naivety and arrogance and entitlement of the bosses upstairs. How out of touch? I mean, I've talked to so many BBC staff over the weekend, sports staff over the weekend, who said the management just so out of touch. You can't do that in any business, yours, mine, certainly not at the BBC. So I think Tim Davian's been brought back from America, he's been brought back down to earth. He's been reminded that there is this collective spirit in his sports department. So they've come out of it incredibly well, but management really have got to learn some basic skills. Yeah, I mean, and the most extraordinary aspect of this is you would normally expect the chairman of the BBC to be getting involved, expressing an opinion, but he, he can't because he's under investigation for, wait for it, a lack of impartiality over both his donation to the Conservative Party of £400,000 and helping Boris Johnson facilitate an £800,000 loan. When you've got the chairman of the BBC silenced in a scandal like this because of his own lack of impartiality, as many see it, that really, to me, Henry, sums up just what a farce it's been. I agree. I mean... We're football fans, we're used to dealing with VAR as fast, and this is VAR tenfold. There's clearly an inconsistency in the guidelines on impartiality. And at the end of the day, to use a footballing cliche, Lineker is a sports presenter. He wasn't doing it on Match of the Day, he wasn't doing it on a news channel, he wasn't doing it on a, on a news programme. 
And again, we're a grown-up country. We should be able to have grown-up debates. And if the government and the BBC are scared of a sports presenter voicing an opinion, which some people believe in, and they believe in his principles, on his own private social mm. media account, then either they need to look at those guidelines for freelancers within the BBC or just grow up. Yeah, I completely agree. Richard Tice, uh, well, you've lost. It's Lineker Not at all. I've been proven absolutely Lineker right. Lineker won, BBC Thursday. and its supporters Nonsense. like you. I was here no. last Thursday and I said he's brought the BBC into disrepute and he did because they had zero sports coverage on Saturday. All the others sided with him. I was proven exactly right. Even Henry's just admitted he breached the editorial Why is he guidelines. back on air then? Well, hang on. He breached the guidelines. He breached the code of conduct for social media. No one said which that. Is why he's... Nobody has said that. They, they absolutely have said that. No, they that. haven't. Which is why he's the agreed. BBC is... Sorry. No, hey, no, sorry, no. Richard. 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 You can't just say things without me countering. That's how we got into this trouble in the first place. The point is, they haven't found him in breach, actually. They've actually allowed him back on air on Saturday because they recognised that they were up against it with and, all the other staff going out. Because he's agreed with them that all these guidelines need a review... Yes, but they haven't found him in breach. They know he breached the guidelines, which, no, was, set, on, which was set you in 2020. You can't keep telling me that the sky is red when it's blue. Do you want me to reread them again? The, the social no, no. media guideline says you no, cannot tweet... You might say he's in breach. The BBC, in its conclusion today, has not said he was in breach because of the guidelines. Because they're desperately trying to settle. The so you admit they you... haven't said that? No, look, look, the Did? fact is... No, the fact is... They've, well, was agreed, he in breach or they've not? agreed to review the social media guidelines Fine. because that it's doesn't unclear. Mean, it doesn't mean he was in breach. Well, I showed you last week. You've he, just stated for a no, fact he was in breach. Because he used his personal Twitter account to give a, but, a partial opinion. So why opinion. hasn't the BBC said he was in breach of his, of his contract? Well, essentially, that was why they suspended him last But they last haven't Thursday. now said he was in breach. Gina, I mean... You... Fill me in. Am I missing something? Yes, you are. No, he's not. You're not missing anything. Because the, you're talking about being in breach of the code which applies to employees. He was a... Actually, he's not. He's a freelancer. He's not employed Makes by no difference whatsoever. He's the, the face no, the of the BBC. No, 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 no. The code is actually different. What is most surprising to the interview I've just heard from Tim Davies is Tim Davies just said, so we can get back to business as usual... Business as usual is a whole problem with the BBC and the way it's been working is because it's not impartial. I think the, the, the problem is, with all of this week, is that they've shown that they're an organisational shambles. Mm. The people at the top there are biased and shouldn't be there. And to restore credibility is really important because all of our shared institutions, national institutions, need to have people trusting it. But the and heart, that's what was damaged this, this week. Right, was I agree. But, but, Richard, at the heart of this... To me, this is very straightforward. Given the volume of people who appear as BBC faces, Lord Sugar, David Attenborough, you know, uh, Deborah Meaden on Dragon's Den, Karen Brady, right? All these people have been pontificating... The, and I think they're perfectly they're entitled perfectly to, by the way. Right to, yeah. But none of them are actually BBC staff employees. Now, yes, here, here's not. my distinction. I think if you work as an employee of BBC News and Current Affairs, you should be prohibited from expressing any public political opinions. Agreed. Because clearly you are in direct yep. conflict. But I don't give a stuff... With all due respect to Gary and Lord Sugar and all the others, and, and, I don't give a stuff look, what they actually, all have to say about it. That's the good news about this, because basically... But do you agree with that? No, I do agree. The point is, they've got themselves into terrible, hypocritical... So if you agree, why have you been, <laughs> been fulminating Because he brought them into disrepute and he breached their guidelines for which he was sanctioned and didn't appear on Saturday. That's proven me right. But we, looking no, but he, forward... No, but hang on. Hang looking on. forward... You keep, you keep saying something which hasn't been established. 
He well, did then, not... why was it... then why was he... If he breached suspended... their guidelines, was... why has suspension been immediately lifted? Why is he back on air? No, he was suspended because, because he made a comment about the, the Home through. Secretary. And we're agreeing the way no, no, through, which is... No, no, this is really important. Look forward. Suspended yeah. for breaching. He, he, he was, was. He was. He was told he couldn't appear on Saturday, and so all the other. Yes, the, but the he had. But in the statement where, today, where, there is no mention of him having yeah. breached anything. It, that doesn't mean he did. They're now doing a big review, which is a fudge for Correct. we but, got into a deep hole. We've no idea how to get out of it. Agreed. We'll put him back on air so we can get everything back on air, and then we're going to try and work Agreed. this out. But the my, solu is, my solution, which is my solution as well, by is just simply to split news and current affairs from everything else. But in return for which. Right, freedom of choice, freedom of speech. I want the freedom of choice of not being obliged to pay the licence fee for something that I hardly ever watch. That, then, I think... You is, don't I, have well, to. Hang on, you don't have to. Well, you do. To. If you watch any no, live platform, any live platform on any device, you have to buy a licence fee, including if you watch YouTube on an iPad. So, look, the reality is we should basically say, right, let's have freedom of choice, freedom of speech, mm. accept the news, that's absolutely fine, but I think this is the beginning of the end of the compulsory licence But are you fee. comfortable having a chairman of the BBC... No, who, agreed. ..who donated to... No, the... It's ridiculous. OK, and secondly, you also have Tim Davey, who runs the BBC, <laughs> who was himself... He stood as a Tory candidate. And you've got I mean, you Robbie Gibbs, and you've is that, got is that, is that and John McCarthy. Uh, uh, by the way, I like, I like Tim Davy personally. He's a very smart guy. I'm, I'm, to I'm, to I'm, me, I'm, if you really want to please. tackle impartiality, Correct. that's part of the problem. I'm not defending Richard. the BBC. They're, they're, they've got themselves in a terrible muddle. But the point is, if you breach a company's guidelines, if you bring it into disrepute, there has to be a sanction. The sanction has he already didn't. happened. He didn't appear on Saturday. Did oh, by the way, the customer. But hang look on. at the customer. Hang on. Hang More on. customers watched without him than with him. Hang on. Well, yeah, yeah. we know that's just... Look, people would tune if, if the test card had run, right? <laughs> as I pointed out to him, actually. Uh, I think the point, Jenner, is that he was not suspended for any discernible breach of his no. contract stated by the BBC. He was suspended because of the he inflammatory criticized. nature of what he wrote, yes. and I don't agree with what he wrote, but I absolutely defend his right to have that kind of I opinion. absolutely defend his right, and actually everybody who bangs the tape about free speech should defend his yes. right. But I just want to pick up something, Richard, I know you're not very good at details, but let me just um, tell you me? something about the subscription service. Really? Yeah, a subscription service for the BBC, as most free marketeers go on about. How are you going to make that happen when we've got 10.7 million people... It works on people? Netflix, it works on yeah, Amazon Prime, Because it's they're easy. not a national... Broadcaster. He doesn't have to be a national yes, broadcaster. I'm sorry, there's 10.7 people. I do think the licence fee is an anachronism, and I do think... It's within, finished. No, no, within until 10 we to 15, have... I'll tell you why, because my, 10 or 15 years, my sons be. are all in their 20s. They're just not going to be feeling morally deep, obliged but, to pay a licence fee. The they don't the buy print newspapers, and they're not going to pay a BBC licence no, fee. No, but you have to have the technology to have a subscription You've got Netflix. You've no, got, what are you talking about, Gina? Because the BBC needs to have something called conditional access technology. There's 10.7 million people in this country who watch the BBC on Freeview. There's 10 million people who don't have super broadband. Maybe in the future we will get there, but right now you cannot invest and convert the whole of the BBC to a subscription service. It's not possible okay. at the moment. We're going to leave it there. Um, I, mean, I think you have to accept that you lost, Richard. Nonsense. Absolutely. I've been proven right. He didn't appear on Saturday. He brought the BBC into disrepute. I'm right. You, you were wrong on Thursday. Final question for Henry Winter, given you are the doyen of uh, football experts. Are Arsenal going to win the league, Henry? Because <laughs> it's looking good. <laughs> uh, honestly, the, the way they've recovered from Manchester City is just as impressive as the way you've just put this Richard character away, Piers. <laughs> Henry Winter, this is exactly why I wanted you on. 
Henry Windsor, great to see you, Henry. Thank you very much. Richard, great to see you. Yes. And don't worry, you'll bounce back. And great <laughs> to see you, Gina. Thank you very much. Next tonight, the award for the world's worst A-lister. Yes, it's my old friend Hugh Grant. I say he should now be banned from all award shows after his obnoxious performance on the Oscars' red, slightly beige carpet. We'll debate that with Sharon Osbourne and Hugh Grant fan Bonnie Greer next. Well, as award shows go, this year's Oscars was about as beige as you can get. Even the traditional red carpet took a hit, replaced by a beige one. But what's got us all talking, for the wrong reasons, is the ever-obnoxious Hugh Grant. He seemingly delighted in humiliating interviewer, the supermodel Ashley Graham, on the non-red carpet. What's your favourite thing about coming to the Oscars? Um... Well... Uh... <laughs> It's fascinating. It's uh, it's uh, uh, the whole of humanity is here. It's uh, <laughs> it's Vanity Fair. What are you wearing tonight then? Uh, just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember my tailor. What does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you. Yeah. All right. Back to you guys. I mean. I mean, it went on a bit, the Hugh Grant uh, exchange there with poor old Ashley Graham. He was just doing a job, right? If you go on the red carpet at the Oscars, or the beige carpet as it was last night, it's the biggest carpet in show business history. It is crawling in journalists. The only purpose of walking down it is to talk to the media. But old Hugh Grant, who hates the media, decided he wanted to present an award at the Oscars and march down the carpet and then be a complete douchebag to any journalist who had the temerity or supermodels to ask him questions. Like, what are you wearing? Which is probably the most famous question in Hollywood history, to which the answer is, I'm wearing Dolce & Gabbana, or whatever it is you're wearing. What you don't do is humiliate and pick on a young interviewer just trying to do her job. You don't roll your eyes and walk away like, God, have I got to deal with these idiots? Well, we've got Talk TV presenter Sharon Osbourne has joined me and playwright and author Bonnie Greer. Bonnie, let me start with you. You, you apparently want to defend this behaviour. Well, you know, Piers, look, it, it wasn't very nice. I mean, I wouldn't have done it myself. You wouldn't have done it yourself. But the guy walked up to her. He's an actor. I looked at him immediately and knew he was off cue. He had his jacket open. His mm. pot belly was showing. I thought, uh-oh. And Why then, is he on the carpet, then? Well, I don't know. Oh, Why well, does anybody wait, go down know the what? carpet? You know, actually, probably, and you know how it is, they probably got him in the film so they could get the film made. And then he thought, let me show up to help my mates, but I really don't want to be no, here. No, he's, he he's there to he promote did. the yeah, brand yeah, of Hugh Grant. He did. He's there to appear in front of but, a billion but the, people but the, but, presenting an award. The, and for that, you walk but, down but the carpet the, and you the talk to the media. Of, new, of Hugh Grant is to be just what he was. She didn't what know a dick. it. I knew it. Well, I'm going to call him that, but you can do that. I just but, did. Well, you certainly did. I don't call people dicks. Generally. Why not? Generally. What if they are a dick? Generally. Let's go to Sharon Osborne. Sharon, uh, maybe I shouldn't have used the D word, but to me, he just behaved like a dick. I mean, he just, he just treated Ashley Graham, I felt, with total disrespect. And he pretended like the job of somebody on a red carpet, if you're an actor at the Oscars, is not to talk to the media, or if you have to, look like you're sucking lemons. 
Yeah, I I have to say, listen, I love Hugh Grant, but really? he was out of order. Ashley, yeah, I do. I think he's a great actor. But a great I actor. Just, he is a great I actor. was. He plays the same role uh, every time he does a movie. And he did one last the other no, day on the, on the red carpet. He plays a slightly no, dimwit, no. foppish British. But I, and that's what he did on the red say, carpet. God, the sorry, thing sorry. is, if you don't want to talk to press, if you are bored by it all, don't do the carpet. That's the way it is. If you know you're not in the mood to talk to press, don't do it. Yes, I it's completely simple. agree. Now, the other rule of the Oscars, because it was... I've got to say, I watched it all. It was long, for over three and a half hours again. Uh, they put back all those awards which we thought we'd got rid of last year for all the production stuff, which is very important in Hollywood to people in the industry, but nobody outside of Hollywood cares about all these little awards which then take up all the time. Uh, but then somebody forgot another golden rule, Sharon, which was uh, when you lose, you've got to try and pretend you're happy for the people who win. But, and this is something Angela Bassett yes. did not get the memo on. Take a look. Jamie Lee <laughs> I mean, it's like she literally was sucking or inhaling a large bottle of particularly toxic vinegar. Um, she could not contain her disgust. Oh, my, my argument about this, Sharon, is she's supposed to be an actress. I mean, surely in that moment, what you do is you just act your way out of it. You pretend you're happy for Jamie Lee Curtis, don't you? Yeah, it's... Um... I, I listen, I, I get it, the disappointment. That's why I never let Ozzy go to award shows. <laughs> I just won't do it. You don't want to be She's on camera when you didn't win. Yeah. But but the thing is, hey, listen, she she knew she would be on camera. She she did what she felt. So, you know, she didn't play the game. She didn't pretend. She didn't applaud. So, you know, she's got to live with it. She knew what she was doing. She's such an experienced actress. She knows the game. Yeah. What do you think, Bonnie? I, I, I so, think, I mean, know, I hear what Sharon is saying, but, you know, uh, they're actors. And I think what happened last year was Will Smith opened the door to reality. So nobody's pretending mm. anymore. And I have to say, when she didn't know what he was referring to when he said Vanity Fair, mm. I sort of roll my eyes too. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I know, but you can understand because the big party at the Oscars is the Vanity Fair. No, 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 Fair but I, I just thought, whoa. And so he played New Grant, and that's what he did. Okay, we've got two people who didn't get the memo. Somebody who did get the memo right, I felt, because I've always felt if I ever won an Oscar, and I admit this is an unlikely aspiration at this stage, although to remind people, I have appeared as myself in nine movies that have grossed. $2.3 billion. And you've got no nomination. Office, which means oh, I've actually grossed more it, than people like Will Smith. However, I don't want to oh, boast about behave. my movie career. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> pointing it out. Nine movies, $2.3 billion in the box office. It's, just a, it's a statistical fact. Um, but <coughs> if I ever did win an Oscar, oh. I would make... I, I just think you keep the speech short, heartfelt, you thank your mum, you tell a little bit about your journey to get there, and then you milk the applause and, and go away. Ki Hui Kwan, who won the Best Supporting Actor for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which won everything last night, I thought he made one of the great Oscar speeches. We'll take a little look at the clip here. My journey started on a boat. I spent a year in a refugee camp. And somehow, I ended up here on Hollywood's biggest stage. 
They say stories like this only happen in the movies. I cannot believe it's happening to me. This, this is the American dream. You know what, Bonnie? That right there was the American dream. But you know, yes, that was a beautiful speech. Yeah. But what you're not accepting... You, you like the beautiful parts of the realness of the Oscars. Yes. And not the ugly parts of the realness of the Oscars. No, no, and no, that, no, no. And that was no, no, Hugh Grant. No, no, you're missing my point. I like the reality. I like Hugh Grant showing us what a dickie is. I like uh, Angela Bassett showing us she's a bad loser. Because it's the truth. It's right. They're not trying to hide it. Yes, it right. doesn't mean to say that it's good what they're doing, although we can't criticise it. I don't know what good means. I like real, and that's what it was. Well, even when people it. are disbehaving gracelessly. Well, well, you know, huh? some people are not like that. On, on this one, uh, Sharon, I thought this guy, Ki uh, Hui Kwan, it was a really moving speech, but also that story. What a story that is. He came from Vietnam. His it's... family fled Vietnam in a boat, they go to Hong Kong, they eventually come through the refugee programme into America, and there he is, winning an Oscar. Uh, and you think about all the debate going on right now in the UK about these people trying to come in on boats, some deservedly, some not deservedly, and so on. It was a vivid reminder that actual genuine refugees do need help, and if they do get the help, they can live a dream like that. Absolutely. I mean, he's living proof. But, I mean, that speech was so heartfelt. I mean, I think everyone all over the world was so taken and in tears by his speech. Have you been to the Oscars, Sharon? Have you ever sat through it? Yes. Is it as torturous as people yeah. tell me it is? Yeah, because you're thirsty and hungry and you want to go to the bathroom. Wow. Having worked with you for because years it's on America... too long. Well, I've got to say, having worked with you for four years on America's Got Talent, if you were any one of those three things, all hell used to break loose. What was it, what was it like when all three were <laughs> the problem? It's uncomfortable, Piers. <laughs> you get uncomfortable. It is incredibly uncomfortable. And I think the, one of the biggest winners of the night was Glenn Close, who was supposed to be there and presenting an award got COVID at the last minute and couldn't attend, which I think is the Steve McQueen Great Escape Award, uh, because I just could not... Because <laughs> you have to sit there. It's three and a half hours It's a ceremony. But you have to sit there, Bonnie, for four and a half you hours. You want to escape because of COVID, though. They get you in an hour before. I... <laughs> four and a half hours you sit there. No food, no drink. It's a nightmare. Well, have you been to Catholic Nothing. school? Catholic school. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's my background. No biggie, no biggie. <laughs> Sharon, do you think on the Oscars generally, it, each year the ratings seem to dip, 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 like all award ceremonies now. I think it was people, very in a way, the pandemic sped all this up. It's like, are people done with award ceremonies? Are they done with watching a bunch of very rich, very famous people telling each other how great they are? I think that award shows now aren't really popular at all. I think they're very passe. And it's like, oh, another award show, another award show. Here we go again. Listen, the Oscars years ago were, were fantastic. And the hosts were amazing. Mm. But it just seems to have been watered down and down. And it just seems that the hosts are reading off teleprompter. I was also struck last night, uh, Bonnie, there were a lot of big stars weren't there. 
all the ones you normally see, like Meryl Streep and all these, you know, Tom Cruise couldn't be bothered, James Cameron couldn't be bothered. A lot of the really big, iconic figures in Hollywood just couldn't be bothered I, to go. I, I'm with Sharon. I grew up on the Oscars. Yes. And I used to just, every year, I wanted to be there. It was glorious. So they all used glamorous. to go, and it was incredibly Everybody glamorous. Everybody was there. There was a big band. There yeah. was music. Yes. There was entertainment. There was all this. Now it's like a corporate event yeah. that we just get invited to. And it's very twee. Yeah. And it's very sad. I've got the answer. They should have one more you, next you year. Go on, Sharon. No, I was going to say, Bonnie, do you remember when Billy Crystal used yes. to... Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And David Wookie, Niven when the streaker and went Wookie by. Wookie was there were always real brilliant. big stars who came, and you really sat yes. there. You were really yep. anxious. You didn't know who was going to win. There were no odds put out there no. in the street where you no, thought, no. oh, I know that movie's going to win, and it wins. You never knew. There were big yeah. bands that played all the I music. have the solution. It was... I have a solution. Yeah. It's clearly run its course. It's I not think we glamorous have one... anymore. It's we have... not glamorous. Right, so what we should do is is kill it off. We have one more Oscars next year and we just unleash Ricky Gervais for four hours. Yes, and he basically yes, spray yes. guns. And he buries it. He spray guns the entire room and then he has a deep bow and that's it. And we play and then at the end they do the music yep. and he's carried off. That would be it. Uh, Sharon, great to see you. Great to talk to you. Uh, Bonnie, lovely to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Bye. Well, a bit of a gear change now because coming next tonight is the Fox News war reporter Benjamin Hall. Used to telling the stories of people whose lives have been torn about by war, but last year he became a story after being horrendously injured in a missile strike in Ukraine. And he joins me next to tell his extraordinary story. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. A year ago tomorrow, my next guest was reporting from Kiev in Ukraine. It was meant to be his last ever job on the front line. Fox News correspondent Benjamin Hall was covering the war in Ukraine when he and his crew were hit by a Russian missile strike that left two of his colleagues and two Ukrainian soldiers dead, and Benjamin with horrific injuries. Well, he has a new book out about these experiences called Saved, a war reporter's mission 
to make it home. It's hit number one in the charts in America ahead of its release here on Thursday. And Benjamin, I'm thrilled to say, joins me now. Benjamin, great to talk to you. Um, it really is, because when this happened, it was such an appalling attack. And no one was quite sure about the scale of your injuries, but we knew that four other people had been killed. And frankly, it's, it's a miracle that you're here at all. It is. And uh, I think back to that day, you know, constantly. And I remind myself that still being here is the luckiest thing that happened to me. Uh, and as a result, we've got to be totally optimistic every day and make the most out of life. Uh, I was the only one who survived. Very badly injured. I lost uh, my leg. I lost my other foot. Uh, eyesight in one eye, shrapnel in the eye, and uh, uh, very badly burnt. But I've had a whole year to recover, a whole year to push on through. Um, and I finally made it. And I want to come back and tell the story, not only of how I was injured, but how I recovered and all the incredible people who came to evacuate me, to save me um, and to bring me back uh, one year on. Well, it is an extraordinary story. I, I know you've talked about this before, but just for our audience who haven't heard this, take me back to that day. This was right at the, the start of the war and the Russians were trying to take Kyiv. What happened? We were filming that day just outside Kiev in a village called Horenka, totally abandoned. Uh, it had been bombed to the ground, and we were just re uh, filming, recording, showing what the Russians had done. And as we were making our way back to the capital city, back to Kiev, we stopped at an abandoned checkpoint, and out of nowhere the first bomb came whistling overhead and landed about 30 feet in front of the car. We tried to get the car backwards, and um, the car stalled, and so cameraman, my cameraman Pierre shouted, out of the car, get out of the car. And the next second, the second bomb landed right next to the car. And that's when I got a lot of the facial injuries and the shrapnel in my face, and I blacked out. And as I was sitting there, unconscious, um, my daughter came to me. I saw my daughters right in front of me. And they said to me, they said, Daddy, you've got to get out of the car. And I opened my eyes. I came to, I crawled, I pulled myself out of the car, and then the third bomb hit the car itself. Uh, that one threw me away, and I woke up uh, a little bit later, and I was on fire, badly injured, and um, was lying there next to our cameraman, Pierre, who at the beginning was, was still alive. But there was no cell phone reception. There was no way of telling anyone what had, what had happened. Uh, and I was there for about 40 minutes with my injuries, um, trying to figure out how to get home, how to get home to my family. And I thought to myself, no matter what happens today, I'm going to find a way home. I will do it. Uh, and then amazingly, a Ukrainian special forces uh, car drove past. It didn't see us the first time. But I crawled my way up. I pulled my way through the dirt up to, towards the road. And amazingly, it got lost and the car came back. And I was ready and I had a handful of grit and dirt and I threw it at the car uh, and they saw me. And that was the moment about 40 minutes later that I was finally saved. And um, I hadn't felt any pain till that moment. The adrenaline had been kicking in. But the moment that they grabbed me and pulled me along the floor to throw me into the, the back of that van, I felt it all. All in one second, it came back and the skin all... Well, I won't give you the details, but it was, that was where the next step began, where I had to learn how to get through it. Having covered war and reported on other people who'd gone through this kind of terrible experience, what was the reality like for you to then be actually living it yourself? Yeah, it's really interesting. And for years, I've seen people who have had horrible events happen to them. I've seen people, you know, lose their lives and be badly injured, and I always wondered... How would I react? How would it be for me? Um, and uh, I suppose I, I'm just very lucky. I, from the minute this happened, I realized that we had to get through it, that I had to get through it as best I could. 
and that if uh, one day, for example, I could walk two steps with my new prosthetic legs, the day after that I would walk three steps. That no matter how much the pain was one day, I would always do more than I did the day before. And um, I think you get pushed to the limits and you have to learn a new strength inside you. And there were times on the evacuation, uh, I was evacuated on the Polish Prime Minister's train. There was this covert mission to come in and get me. Um, incredible story by um, Save Our Allies. It's an American group that helps evacuate people who are, who are, who are in harm. And, uh, but I remember on that train ride out without any pain meds having to figure out you have to get through some of the worst pain today and you have to figure out how you're going to do it. And I dug deep and I thought, when I thought I couldn't do it, I thought there has to be another level inside you, another level to grit, to hold on, to realize that if you, if you stick together, you can survive. So having finally gone through this myself, that's what I learned. I, I realized that inside all of us, and I think it's true, all of us, when you have to, you've got to do something, no matter how hard it is, you find a way, you keep doing it, and you keep being optimistic about it. Yeah, I mean, you've got extraordinary spirit about this, I have to say. Um, what are your feelings about the fact that four people, including two journalism colleagues, died in this attack? I mean, do you think about that a lot and reflect on that? I think about that? it every, sing every single day. And I think back to when I was lying there next to Pierre, um, uh, someone who was like a brother to me. I'd known him for many years. And, uh, you know, the four others didn't die. And... I think that, first of all, that we, A, have to continue doing the job we've always done. It is essential to keep telling the stories from inside war zones so that people back home, our viewers and our audience, they know exactly what's going on. But I also think that Pierre would have wanted me to pick myself up and to live just as Pierre would have done, and that is to make the most out of life, go out and help as many people as I can, go and do the best for my job and for my family, and, and that's what I do. So I think about him dearly. I remember him closely every single day, but it gives me strength, and it reminds me never to give up, just to keep on doing it. What are your thoughts now, Benjamin, about the war? We're a year on now, a year on from your appalling incident, but a year on with the war. It's still raging uh, as brutally as it ever has done. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah. You know, I mean, in one sense, like, I think that we're in a, an incredible position and that Russia hasn't taken over the, the country. But in another sense, I think we've reached a stalemate. And I just feel that what we see at the moment is something that could go on for years. Um, if Putin's aim was to tear apart the country... He's done that in a sense. Um, and I just think it's um, the Ukrainians are holding on because of the support that they're given by NATO, by the US, the UK uh, and other countries. So uh, I think Putin at the moment is waiting to see if that support dries up. If the, the West stops giving money over the, over the coming years, then he might have another shot at it. But I think we've entered a stalemate at the moment. And the idea that there may be some peace accord and that this war ends any time in the near future, I, uh, that's not happening, in my opinion. And what about for you? Because this was going to be one of the last times you were going to go on a, 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 a job like this. Has it made you rethink that? Has it cemented your view? Do you have other plans now? Well, you know, I, I mean, one of the reasons I had decided to pull back was because I have a family. I have three young daughters, my wife, Alicia. Um, they gave me the strength to get through this. But it was one of the reasons I had decided to pull back from covering so many wars. But um, I won't be heading back into war zones myself or to the front lines, but there is an ongoing discussion at the moment about uh, interviewing Zelensky. So whether or not a trip to Ukraine is in the cards, I'm not sure. But I feel strongly about the job itself uh, and about people continuing to do this. Be planned, be prepared, know where you're going. But it's essential we keep doing it. I've covered wars for 15 years, and for the first time ever, I think, in the near future, I'd rather not tell stories about the horrors around the world like I've done. I'd like to tell stories about hope and optimism and the incredible people who can pull you through, because that's what I've learned. I've learned how all that help really pulled me through. Um, and I would just say to everyone, 
you know, if you know someone who's having a difficult time, reach out. Those little words, they mean so much. And so for my own career, I think maybe initially a segue into some really uplifting, optimistic stories uh, first. Do your, do your daughters know about the involvement they had in you getting out of that car and surviving? Well, I mean, I've told them that they saved my life. Um, they're, they're still very young, um, but they know that I came back to them. They know that we had to, we were always to be together. And um, I think it's a story that we'll continue to tell them. You know, obviously we'll talk about it forever. They obviously know and they see the injuries every day. But um, I mean, they're my family. They're so special, you know, and when nothing else counts, they count. Family's always there for you. And that's why they're so important. Benjamin, it's great to talk to you. It's great to see you. Uh, everyone, obviously, in the whole Fox family was incredibly worried about you. Um, it's a remarkable book, Saved, A War Reporter's Mission to Make It Home. It's out on Thursday uh, in the UK, this Thursday, 16th of March. I really commend people to buy it. It's a story of hope, of inspiration, of survival, and of the power of positive thought. And I think that that's been palpable in this interview. So, Ben, great to see you. Congratulations on the book Thank and you. the success it's having, but also the message that you're spreading, which I think is so important. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Piers. I appreciate it. Thank you. All the best. Remarkable story. A remarkable man. Well, next tonight, a Welsh Government review recommends tearing down statues of old white men like Lord Nelson because they might be offensive to the diverse modern public. Does doing this kind of thing really improve the present or the future? Or is it a load of virtue signaling nonsense? We'll talk about that after the break. Welcome back to Piers Morgan on I'm joined now by Talk TV's Esther Cracker, Daily Mail associate editor Kevin McGuire, and Bonnie Greer has returned for more in this show. I have. I didn't know. A very rare going. event. Normally, I didn't know I was going to. But normally, you're straight out the door yes, and into the exactly. first available cab. So exactly. good. To, good to see you. Um, right. I want to talk first of all about Prince Andrew because it just that just made me just laugh out loud. Really, this idea that he thinks Esther is entitled to a large check because the Queen died from her dowry in some way. After she bailed him out, we think, to the tune of $11 million to pay a woman he claims he never met for making sex assault allegations against him. Pretty rich, some might think. Yes, the heart weeps that he isn't <laughs> getting his share of the £650 million pound fortune. Uh, this strengthens my case that he should be given a one-bedroom uh, flat in Stevenage as opposed to <laughs> Frogmore Cottage, but I don't think the King is going to listen to me. Bonnie, you're the great thing of all indefensible royal scandals. <laughs> are you going to try and defend this one or not? No, no, no. Where did you get that from? I, Just generally. I, oh, right. I, uh, you know, back in the day, people used to re retire. Mm. They vanished. What happened to Prince Andrew? Perfumo. And yeah, all they just yeah. go. Or you go and do so-called good work. Yes. You take, you know, sackcloth and ashes. I agree with this. And you go live in yes. somewhere... And you like help. Gandhi. Yeah, you help people. You've got to have shame. You just van. Well, that's true. And, it, and, uh, and there has no shame. Or an admission you've done something wrong. Yeah, well, yeah. he signed an agreement, and he, he remember in the statement there was some apology to the woman he never met. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't know, but there was an apology of how he he behaved. Now, if he's short a few, few bob, he can get a job. He can get pizza, mm. pizza express in Woking. I can imagine. But you know, but the, the the real scandal here isn't 
Andrew mourning, groaning, revealing his self-entitlement and privilege by wanting the money. Mm. It is the fact there is a 1993 agreement, which means monarch to monarch inheritance. Yes. Escape inheritance tax. Yes. Everybody else in the UK will pay inheritance, probably after £325,000 in the state, or half a million mm. if there's a house involved. Charles is getting 650 million quid, not paying a penny, but he's expecting us to cover a very expensive, elaborate coronation in Westminster Abbey. Yeah, but you know my view about this. Time. My view about I, I, this is... Not, my view about this is... It if, you're, if you're going to have a royal family, they should be treated like a royal yeah. family. And, and with all there. the bells and whistles, uh, and then you hope to recoup, as they do, as they do... You hope to make a net profit from all the money that comes in from tourism. Here's your, and, you, and, and, you know, you'll have Henry VIII back. And not only that, there is Henry no Henry VIII history. was... A, he got a bad rap, Listen, I got. <laughs> you know, but there's no history in this country, very little history, yeah. of they were not having royals. Mm. There always have been them. Yeah. And, in fact, Oliver no, Cromwell... Yes, there was. And Oliver uh, Cromwell... No, listen, you buried him with a crown. Mm. So, uh, my <laughs> point... No, my point... <laughs> 11 years. Two, da two days, two days. By the way, Esther, your laugh, which you've just erupted again, is now the laugh has gone around the world due to this clip which has gone viral literally everywhere in the world. What's happened? If I can identify as anything mm -hmm. without any need to prove I'm actually what that is, I, I why can't I on International Women's Day say, I'm Piers Morgan, I'm a black lesbian? I think taking it to a kind of absurd no, no. status... I think, where I think we're that's talking what... About quite a, a with respect, I think that thing. you've already opened the absurdity door by saying it is limitless. You can do what you like. Anyone can say... I'm a woman. So I simply ask you, why can't I? I mean, this point kind of ridicules trans people to an extent. Actually, I think... I think what, uh, we what we managed laugh? beautifully to run that clip right after the moment where Esther's laugh <laughs> erupted. So that was a brilliant bit of editing which managed to ruin my entire moment. So thank you, everybody. Um, but obviously, just before that, when I first said it, you erupted I and you've now become... It. It's now become the most famous... We'll try and get it for our affair. Become the most famous <laughs> cackle in history. I, would love I wasn't to see expecting. It. I would oh, love we've to got see it. it. Hang on. I would have laughed too. Why oh, can't no, I, I identify? Not... Okay, why can't I identify as a black lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, I mean, it was... I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> if I can identify as anything, that's it. Without that's any it. Need to... That's the one. Anyway, you're famous. <laughs> I've had people all around the world say, "Who's that girl? Where's that cackle?" Um, <laughs> you had blown your nose before you came on. Let's I mean... talk quickly about these. Uh, this ridiculous initiative from the Welsh government to remove white men statues of Duke of Wellington, Admiral Nelson, and so on. They must be hidden or destroyed to create the right historical narrative according to Welsh Government guidance, Esther? I think this constant running away from history is becoming a bit embarrassing. I don't know many people in India that, you know, try and tear down statues or mourn, you know, the impact of, of the Mughals in, in, during the Mughal Empire. It's, it's a uniquely British phenomenon, which I find very confusing. There's some, I mean, what other country does this? I mean, All other right. than Eastern the America US. America started doing it. Hang on, 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 hang on. I'd hang on if I were you. Russia and most of Eastern Europe would still have statues all over of Stalin. Are you kidding me? And Lenin. Stalin is still we, one of the most popular... I'm sorry. We, Stalin is still one of the most popular we, historical we, figures in Russia. Are you Russia? comparing the we, Duke of Wellington and Admiral we, Nelson to Stalin we, and Lenin? We, are you? We, or even by your twisted we, standards? Is that what you're doing? We in the UK would still have a statue of Jimmy Savile outside a leisure centre yeah, in Glasgow if you on. couldn't take a statue What about Duke down. of Wellington and Admiral Nelson? Actually, they were good and bad. 
Uh, Nelson, oh, oh, everybody. They, they Good and bad in you. They, I still have you on this program. They were defenders of the slave trade act type. The Welsh government doesn't want to take them all down. But if you put up a statue at some, but why are we so ashamed most, of all our history? Suddenly, we're, we're not. Of we're it. not ashamed of Churchill, all our history. Apparently, he's got to go. No, Nelson's got to go. No, Wellington's got to go. No, no, he doesn't. I think all the whiny no. brats moaning about them, they yeah. should go. Bonnie Green. Well, well listen, as a museum person, I do think there's a period when a statue is not appropriate for the public square, but you put them in the museums. You don't yeah. have to destroy it. Yeah. But keep teaching. A statue is to teach and keep teaching. You know who I want a statue of very soon? Who? In about three months' time? Mikel Arteta, <laughs> the manager of Arsenal outside the Emirates Stadium. Um, yeah. We've been talking about Roald Dahl and all this editing and so on. And there's been a new burst of this in Australia. Um, the Australian newspaper has, has broken this story about Enid Blyton books. Can you believe this? The phrases shut up, don't be an ass and don't be an idiot have been cut from Enid Blyton's famous five. This is apparently to protect children, Esther. I think that's a real shame because it removes some really valuable insults from children's repertoire. I, yes. I, I took great pride in coming up with really in, uh, creative insults as a kid. What are we doing, <laughs> Kevin, to literature? Look, Enid Blyton's famous five, don't be an idiot, shut I, up. Yeah, look, I prefer to leave books as they were at the time. Sometimes yeah. you might put a warning on the cover, that's fine. Why? But, you like you, you're too sensitive yeah. to read Enid Blyton. Yeah. Go away. But the I got back under a rock. But, but the truth is, these are commercial decisions, and people are probably not buying them at the moment. And one of the reasons they're not buying them is some parents will not want their kids to be coming across those uh, those phrases. That's well, why they change. This can't be right, what's happening to uh, literature. It well, can't be right. Well, as, as a writer, I would say, I don't like seeing writers' work uh, re-edited by people who are not them. No. That's my first feeling. And these but, ghastly but, new people, the sensitivity I, and, and, I, and, I, and I have a problem with that. I really do. And what can I say? But, but Piers, Agatha Christie... You would not want it to be called ten, right? Uh, would you? No. So there is no. a principle. You, as with free like, speech, yeah, yeah. there are certain yeah. things, right? You, I wouldn't want people to inspire hatred, right? Mm -hmm. This kind of stuff is nonsense. Mm. And actually, it de to me, it trivialises and devalues the important debates. But it also to be takes out. away the writer's voice. Yes, I mean, you, you feel worse. Ian is not here to, to do it, yeah. so I've, it shouldn't be allowed. Thank you, Pac. Yeah. Great to see you. Whatever you're up to tonight, keep it uncensored. That's the key. Free speech matters. Ask the BBC, who just lost to Gary Lineker. Good night. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.